Luke 2. Luke chapter number 2. The two previous messages, we began our reading at verse number 40. We'll do so again this morning down through verse 52, but we're interested in verse 41 through 51 of Luke 2. We also have been reading Mark 6, verse 3, but we'll not read that verse this morning. If you can stand, would you stand? And we'll honor the word of God by standing for the reading of today's text that we're preaching from. We're still in the section of the silent years of the life of Christ. It would have been 28 of those. If you remember, we established that with verse number 40 and verse number 52. Um, 10 years, verse number 40, 18 years are covered in verse number 52. These are part of what's known as the silent years or the hidden years of Christ. This is the only scene, actual event that we have in all those years in the life of Christ that we're looking at this morning. We'll begin in verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, um, these are the first spoken words of Christ in his life, uh, recorded in Scripture. Verse 49, he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Brother Dustin, would you pray for us before we bring the message today, please? This is our 14th look into the life of Christ. We'll begin seeing him in public, the Lord willing, our next look into this series of messages. Um, you remember there were seven messages leading into the birth of Christ, then the birth of Christ and the adoration of the shepherds, seven messages. There were four messages where we looked at scenes just beyond the nativity and the life, young life of Christ, the early life of Christ. Now, these silent years, we've looked at Jesus, the child. Uh, we have noticed what it was like growing up in Nazareth at the time of Christ's childhood and as a young man. We noticed him as a young man, Luke 2 and verse number 52. We considered Jesus the carpenter a couple of weeks back in the second message in these particular silent years. Today, I want to focus on his experience at the temple at the age of 12 Again, here in Luke 2, verses 41 through uh, 51. 
You remember we've, we've spoke to you the last two messages, how that a Jewish boy during this time, at the age of 12, he would be known as a son of the law or a son of the covenant. Um, uh, and, and so uh, he's here at the temple at the age of 12. Now today, uh, there's a formal ceremony for that. It's called the bar mitzvah. You've heard of it. Uh, bar meaning son, mitzvah meaning covenant or law. Uh, it's where a young man will become responsible for his own actions and deeds, his words he speaks. So it was in the life of Christ. Uh, prior to this age in his life, of course, we know he had no sin, but a boy, if he did something, they would usually hold the father and the mother accountable. But once you come to this age, now he's responsible for all of his actions and all of his words. At the age of 12, he would have been robed in the garments of a man and considered a free moral agent. And um, they considered him uh, at 12 and also a, a girl at the age of 12 uh, to be at a place, an age of responsibility. As we look through these verses, we'll not spend a whole lot of time on any of the headings, but I want to speak to you under three simple headings. Verse number 41 and 42, there's Christ's journey to Jerusalem. Verse number 43 through 45, Christ is left behind in the temple. Then verse 46 to 51, you'll find Christ found in the temple in Jerusalem. Verse number 41 and 42, the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. The book of Leviticus gives us a listing of the Jewish feast that were uh, to be observed by the Hebrew people. The book of Leviticus, the word Leviticus means um, the book of the Levites. There are a lot of particulars in the book of uh, Leviticus that, uh, that the Israelitish people would have to pay attention to and would pay strict adherence to. The book of Leviticus is a personal instruction book for God's prescribed worship from the Jewish race of people. The key words in the book of Leviticus are very telling, aren't they? The word holiness is found 87 times. The word holy is found another 65 times. The word atonement is found some 45 times. Those three words have a real story to tell. It's all summed up in the key phrase of the book of Leviticus, which is found in that book, chapter 11, verse number 44, where God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, and he is holy. And the law of approach unto God is holiness. And we found out we could not approach him as we gathered around Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. But thank God for Mount Calvary in the New Testament. And because of that, we have now been brought nigh. The feast of Israel are recorded in Leviticus chapter number 23. I love John Phillips' remarks on it. He said Israel's religious festivals or feasts were great days for them. He said they were planned by God to constantly remind the people of the great epics in their history. Now, there were seven annual feasts. Of course, if you were to go to Leviticus 23, you'll find in the first two or three verses, the Sabbath is dealt with. Now, the Sabbath was not to be... Uh, remembered and kept annually, it was to be remembered and kept weekly. 
it was, it was a, there would have been a feast on that day. But the people were expected to gather for the reading of the, the scriptures. And, and of course, we learned from the book of Nehemiah that it was important that you expound what you've read so that people could have the understanding of, of what they've just read and what's been read in their hearing. The annual feast, again, they were seven in number. They were to be observed annually. The first four of those were to be observed at the first of the year, beginning with Passover. The last three were to be observed in the seventh month, in succession in that month, and um, according to the Jewish calendar. I want to mention those to you, if I may, and I'm just going to say a brief uh, mentioning of them. Again, the feast or the observance of the Sabbath, that was not an annual feast, but it is recorded in Leviticus 23, verses 1, 2, and 3. This was to be obeyed uh, every, every Sabbath, every seventh day for the Israelitish people. Uh, these annual feasts begin with the Feast of Passover, spoke of redemption, celebrated annually by, uh, by the Hebrew people. It would commemorate their deliverance from Egypt. I'll say something about that uh, even again later. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was closely connected and tied to the Passover feast itself, connected with the Passover there was the feast of first fruits, which points us to the resurrection of Christ. This feast was marked by the beginning of har- uh, harvest. At the beginning of harvest, there would be a barley sheaf that would be waved before the Lord. So, first fruits of the crop. Christ is our first fruits, beloved. Thank God, because of his resurrection, our resurrection uh, is guaranteed. I had a funeral Monday, and we went all the way down to Oak Forest. Most of you know where our Oak Forest Cemetery is. I have a friend I, I grew up with that got killed in a car wreck. I, I looked at his tombstone, so I walked by, headed to the gravesite for the, for the service there. 1999, 1999, he was a member of Victory Baptist Church. Um, I did visit with him on a couple of occasions while growing up. He had a grandmother that would show up to pick him and his sister up, took them to church every Sunday. They were taken by their grandmother to Victory Baptist Church. But I thought to myself, I said, there you are. Now, here your stepfather is. We're holding his funeral service. And he professed to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days, one of these days, these old bodies are getting up out of the ground and go to be with the Lord. And this mortal is going to put on immortality, this corruption is going to put on incorruption. We shall be likened to him. And I bless his name for that. There was the Feast of Pentecost. Interestingly enough, Pentecost took place 50 days after the resurrection feast, after the Feast of First Fruits. You'd almost think God wrote the Bible, right? The way it all dovetails and testifies of Christ in his great program in time. There's the Feast of Trumpets. There'd be a long interval uh, between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. It's likened unto the last days. The last days in the New Testament is a broad term, which speaks of the days from the resurrection of Christ to his return for his people. Long interval. We don't know how long. We believe we're in the generation that we'll be living when Christ comes for his people. There's the Feast of Atonement. Of course, the great day of atonement was to be observed one time a year. The people of Israel would mourn that day. They were grievous over their sins. It was a day they were to be mindful of their sins. What the high priest would do is he'd take 
he'd take two goats. One of them was known to be the scapegoat, and Christ is our great scapegoat. On the heads of that goat, on the head of that goat was confessed the sins of the people. And then hopefully it'd be a stranger would take, uh, would take the goat to what they would call the land uninhabited. They would turn him loose. Sometimes it was expected perhaps they could shove him off a cliff. They didn't want the goat which represented their sin walking back into the camp of Israel. And Christ has taken our sins away. A lot of preaching today would have you believe when you go to the judgment seat of Christ that you'll have to give an account for your sin, but your, your sin, child of God, was taken care of on the cross of Calvary, the cross of Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. And no doubt we'll fall at his feet as a dead man, as John did on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter number 1. But I tell you, when the bride sees her bridegroom in heaven, what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. He has taken our sins away, never to bring them up. You say, why do I wrestle with my old sins? It's because you won't grow in grace. Read your Bible. It's gone. The devil may remind you. You may remind yourself. Your neighbor may remind you. But thank God, with God, it's all gone. The accuser of our brethren night and day may bring it up before God. And if he were to ask, what are you going to do about the charges? He's guilty, and I am guilty. Our blessed blood-stained Redeemer can hold up a nail-pierced hand. And the judge of all eternity says, case dismissed. Settled out of court 2,000 years ago. He's coming back for us, dear heart. That other goat would be slain in the blood of it. The, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the great day of atonement. Uh, they, they tied bells to him to make sure they could hear him still moving in there because if he entered in with sin in his life, God would kill him. And with a rope attached to his ankle, they would drag him out of there if that were to take place. But he would enter into the holy place and on the mercy seat where the two cherubim were facing in the glory of the Lord. The Shekinah was upon the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood of that lamb which speaks to a greater blood, the blood of Christ. There's a feast of tabernacles also found to be one of the annual feasts. It was a memorial and a, um, of course, looking back to Passover. But it was also prophetic and looking forward to a time of peace God's people would one day enjoy with God himself. You can liken that unto the Lord's table, which is both a memorial and a prophetic utterance in itself, right? A memorial. We're forced to remember the body of our Lord and his blood that was shed. We're forced to remember Calvary when we come to the Lord's table. And we'll observe that in just a few short weeks as a church. But it also is prophetic. And Jesus said, this do till I come. He said, I'm coming back to get you one day. But until I do that, you, you observe the table. While I'm talking about Leviticus, I took some of my old notes out on my overview. I overviewed each book of the Bible through the years at our Bible uh, Institute. But really, there are 27 chapters in the book of Leviticus. There are two easy divisions, chapters 1 through 10. The way to God is through sacrifice. It's through blood. It's through the blood of an innocent substitute. That's the way to God. 
And then, of course, our walk with God produces sanctification, chapters 11 through 27. As we walk with the Lord, we're we're made to be more like his darling son. He trims us up. That pressure the Spirit of God keeps upon our lives. The Word of God, as we study it and and it's preached to us and taught, um, sanctification, the process of it. God's weaning us from this world and weaning us from ourselves, making us more dependent upon, uh, upon him that takes place. And the bulk of the book of Leviticus deals with that. Here in verses 41 and 42, the feast of the Passover attended and observed by the family. By this family, these three, verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Verse number 42 mentions the custom. Uh, this uh, custom mention. The custom, that meaning it's an annual observance. Annually, the Jewish people would make their way to Jerusalem. And there was an allowance. Uh, the Jewish people, they lived beyond 15 miles from the city of Jerusalem. And they did not attend the Passover. That was allowed. Uh, Here, this family lived in Nazareth, which was many more miles than 15 away. It says something of Joseph and Mary. But on the Passover, the the nation as a whole would remember a time when, in their history, when they they were enslaved to the Egyptian Pharaoh, which was king of Egypt. Enslaved to taskmasters. Enslaved in the borders of Egypt. And God set them free through the blood of the Passover lamb. They rejoiced in that. They rejoiced in that annually at at the Passover. But the Passover every year was a constant reminder to them. Just as I mentioned the Lord's table. But but I say, dear church, not only should we be mindful of our Lord's brokenness and his sacrifice only when we observe the Lord's table, but every time we gather... As Miss Wanda sings to us, as we have sung these seasonal songs, we're to be reminded of why he came into this world. He came and subjected himself to this world. Took his body to a cruel cross and died for our sins. And we're all guilty, aren't we? Certainly we are. In verse number 41, the consistency here of Joseph and Mary is pointed out. It is to be commended. Verse 41, now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year. The Spirit of God told Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, put that in there. They've been consistent. They have been faithful. They've done this year in and year out. Every year they have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. John Butler said about Joseph and Mary, both of them appear to be upright and godly individuals. Their devotion is serious. It is is. It is taken serious with them. In other words, when Passover came around, unless they were providentially hindered through sickness of some sort, they were going to be in their place. They would only be one among many or two among many and multitudes. Some believe as many as 200,000 lambs would be slain on Passover by the Jewish people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the shepherds herding in 200,000 lambs to be taken and offered his sacrifice and disappearing among the number. But you've come to remember that God gave hope, Brother Johnny, so many years ago when there was no hope through the blood of a Passover lamb. 
God gives us that hope through the Lord Jesus Christ, that blessed hope. Um, it'd take a special effort by Joseph and Mary. You couldn't get in an automobile and travel to Jerusalem some 60, 65 miles away. It'd take three to four days of travel, possibly five, because they would travel in caravans. That was for safety purposes. If you have a caravan of people, it's not nearly as likely that you'd be robbed, taken advantage of. Also, if someone come upon hardship or struggle or trouble while traveling, others could help them out. The children could all be accounted for and looked after. But it took a special effort on their part to be in their place. It always does, doesn't it? Sure it does. It always has. I remember some years ago, I've shared this with you before, Coach Hale, we got a, a card from he and Miss Glenda on, uh, uh, well, yesterday. And I, I love Zane Hale. I, if you know him and you run across him, tell him I said that publicly. I love Miss Glenda. When I was their pastor for a little over six years, uh, you'd, only, you'd have to be a preacher to understand my lingo right here, but when things would get real tight and tough in the pulpit, all I'd have to do is look at Glenda Hale. She had, had eye, she had eye, and she's the epitome of a Christian lady. Her eyes said it all. As a matter of fact, I started the book of Revelation before leaving out there, and she said, could I please have a copy of your notes? When I'd finish my notes, I'd make a copy and give her a copy. If nobody else was studying Revelation, we were. And, but I, I remember Brother Doug Jones saying when he was their pastor so long ago in 1970 and back in that that era of time, Hurricane School was still operational. And he said, without fail, he said, he said, beginning of the school year, he said, Coach would call me and he'd say, Brother Doug, uh, when are the scheduled revivals? When's the Bible conference? Because we don't want to schedule any events at Hurricane High School uh, when church is meeting. We want to give church priority. We've come a long ways from that, haven't we? I said all that to say this it'll take a special effort. To be in your place when you're not sick. I'll promise you, the devil can talk you out of anything. He'll talk you out of your faithfulness. You're going to have to make an effort to do that. I'll be quite honest with you, too. Just on a personal note, I thought about with Amanda not sitting here. Um, I like even when I travel for her to go with me. If, if for some reason, if, if, if there's a burden upon my heart, she's always aware of that burden... And she may be listening to me preach, but she's also praying for me while I preach. I'd rather have her praying for me than anybody I know. And there's a lot of people I know pray for me. And I'm thankful for each one. But you understand the close connection that we have. Out of the seven annual feasts, a Jewish man was expected to, to attend at least three of the Jewish feasts. Exodus 34, 23 gives testimony to that. That verse says, Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. As a matter of fact, a woman wasn't even required to attend these feasts. And so the fact that uh, Mary attends, and not only attends, but attends every year, speaks well of her. Now, women attended the Passover and the other feasts. And children attended and would travel along, but not always. More times than not, the Woman would stay home, the wife, the mother, she would stay home, take care of the household, feed the cattle, the livestock. If there were uh, a garden type of an area, she would work that. She would see the things that needed to be taken care of uh, there uh, around home. 
And the fact that, uh, the fact that Mary accompanies Joseph to Jerusalem annually to observe the Passover feast, it, it says something for her. As a matter of fact, I think there are some parallels, don't you, between Mary in the New Testament and Hannah in the Old Testament. You remember Hannah did the same thing. She went to the house of worship annually. She went with Elkanah, her husband. She was barren. It was in the house of worship where she was praying and asking God for a son. And God, God answered her prayer and gave her a boy, a little boy by the name of Samuel. She had said, God, if you'll give me a little boy, I'll give him back to you. Samuel's one of those special men in the Old Testament that we look at. He's a transitional figure. He's the last official judge to hold that office in Israel, and yet he's the first to hold the official prophetic office. God used him as a transitional man. He anointed, uh, he, he anointed King Saul to be king. He anointed David to be king. God used him in a miraculous way. And Hannah, his mother, you'll remember after she gave him to the Lord, you remember she made a coat, the Bible says. She made a track back up to the house of God where she could go and find little Samuel, her son. She made him a coat and took to him. Says something for her affection. And, but Hannah and Mary, I, I love their disposition, don't you? They don't have the mentality of a, uh, somebody that just feels like they have to or they need to. Everybody's expecting me to, uh, but uh, they have the mentality, hey, I want to. I wonder if Joseph ever said, Mary, you know you're not required to go. You could stay behind. And I can hear her say, yeah, but Joseph, I want to. After all the Lord's done for me, I want to go. I'm glad I get to go. Why, Joseph, I'm privileged if no other woman's ever been blessed, Joseph, I've been blessed. I want to be in my place. I want to be numbered with God's people. Uh, When the Passover lamb is is sacrificed and the blood, when the high priest goes in and sprinkles the blood, I want to be outside waiting on him to return. And And when the man, whoever he shall be, shall take the lamb where my sins have been confessed upon or the goat where my sins have been confessed upon his head. I want to watch that goat. I want to watch that stranger take him to the land uninhabited and watch him get smaller and smaller. And Why, Joseph, I want, to, I want to be reminded of what God's done for me. I love that. I sang Brother David and Miss Peggy. I sang about our dear friend, Brother Jerry Messer. I remember over at Enterprise at the, the Bible conference some years back after he had his kidney uh, transplant. You know, of course, I know y'all remember well, he nearly died, just nearly died. He testifies to the fact that he believes God left him around because of the prayers of his people. People were praying for Jerry Messer all over, but he nearly died. God granted him more life. We were in that Bible conference over there. They had it annually for years. And the pastor left the floor open for just somebody maybe to say something. And Brother Jerry stood up and he said, well, brethren, I just want to say I had this all wrong for years. He said, he said, sometimes my neighbor would invite me to something or somebody would, and I'd say, no, I can't go. I, I have to go to church. But he said, after laying down there in Jackson, Mississippi, in the intensive care and those machines on me, not knowing if I was going to live or die, he said, it dawned on me. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. 
were you like me when you were first saved? I was one of those guys. I, I wondered. I didn't show up at seven uh, on the job. I showed up at six. I'd work an hour for Bobby Sappington in the, in, in the, where they would receive uh, rolls of cover at, at action. And then I'd go to my, my station at seven and I'd do my job out there. If he'd let me work, I'd come back after 3.30 or 4.30 and go to it again if I could get overtime. So I was one of those, and I wondered why we started so late on Sunday. After all, I could give action at my early hours. Why couldn't I give that to the church? As a matter of fact, I was one of those birds. I was, I was in a brotherhood about every Sunday somewhere. I'd go to revival. I'd work nine and ten hours a day most days through the week, at least a half a day on Saturday. If there was a revival, I didn't care where it was. I'd go. We are a blessed people. And I won't say a lot about it. and won't run this rabbit. But I'm going to tell you something, church. I, I think the, we, we talk about the judgment of God coming to America. I think the judgment of God is upon our nation. We have let the devil in this world and our sorry flesh rock us to sleep. I think the judgment of God's already upon us. You look at what's going on in the boundaries of this country. You look at what our children are having to grow up in. Think about where our grandchildren are going to be 15 years from now. Dark days. We have been blessed for so long. Of course, we think Christianity applies, number one, to the United States of America before it does to anybody else. We've been blessed in this nation. We have taken the blessings of God for granted, brothers and sisters. Don't tell me the judgment of God's not upon us. Slaughtering all that we've slaughtered of innocent babies from, from the sanctity of the womb. It used to be when they had gay pride parades, it was up uh, out in San Francisco, California. Of course, the San Francisco of the East Coast is Asheville, North Carolina, right? And that's moving into some of those other towns north of Asheville. And now gay pride parades are taking place here in rural Mississippi and our little towns. And people are putting their stamp of approval on that. There are those trying to push the mindset that our, our babies, when they go to school, that... They can help indoctrinate them, that they need to mutilate their little bodies. A kid don't know what he is or she is at five and six and seven years of age. Matter of fact, you kids going to get upset. at You don't know what you are or where you're headed at 17, 18 years of age. That's why we rely on our parents, isn't it? That's why we rely on the Word of God. Look with me at verse number 41 and 42. Verse number 41 and 42, the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Most believe that Jesus, that this may have been his first trip back to the temple since he was 40 days old. But we don't know that, do we? We do know that he's the subject here, not Joseph nor Mary. As a matter of fact, verse number 40 said, and the child grew. And you'll look at verse number 41. The Bible says, 
his parents. And verse number, verse number 42 speaks of when he was 12. He's still the subject matter. And he's still the subject matter of the entire Bible. Christ's journey to Jerusalem. Number two, Christ left behind in Jerusalem, 43 through 45. Look with me at verse number 43 and 44. Notice the supposition of Joseph and Mary. Uh, Verse number 43 and 44, the Bible says, And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, in other words, as they made their way back home after the Passover, the Bible says the child Jesus tarried, Behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. That very easily could have happened. Again, they traveled in numbers for safety reasons, safety concerns. And it probably was at the end of that first day traveling away from Jerusalem, they set up to camp, set up for the night, to rest for the night. Joseph, no doubt, thought Jesus was with Mary. Mary thought... Jesus was with Joseph, and when they go to looking, he's not with either one of them. He's not among their friends, their acquaintances, nor any of their, their kinsfolk. They suppose that he was there, and their supposition take them out of the way and put them at a distance from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thank God when Mary realizes and Joseph realizes, they begin to make their track back to Jerusalem. But it's going to take them longer to get back than it took to walk away. I found that to be the case in Christendom too. The seeking of Christ in this moment of crisis, verses 44 and 45, you'll notice where the Bible says, and they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse 44 says they sought him. Verse 45 says they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. That word sought, seeking means to search from the bottom up. In other words, they, they sought out the caravan. They looked up and down the roads. And then they made the decision, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. He's not here with us. I thought of two Bible examples out of the parables of Luke chapter number 15 that our Lord told in Luke 15, verse number 4, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? You get a mental image of that, don't you? Then Luke 15, verse number 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? She'll turn the house upside down. You fellows are probably about like me. I can't find anything around home. And sometimes Amanda say, Go to the closet in our bedroom. As a matter of fact, the kids were over for Thanksgiving and there was something on, on our bed for one of the little ones. And she said, hey, he said, go in, it's on our bed. And told me the item. I went in there, I come back, and I said, you're going to have to take another guess. It's not in there. And she huffed real big, walked in there, threw a piece of cover back, and she said, here it is. She said, I told you. <laughs> well, sometimes, Mike, she'll say something, and, and I'll say, and I can't. I can't find it. She'll turn a closet up. She knows where it's at. I don't, I may not know where it's at. She knows where it's at. I'm still smarter than her, but she knows where it's at. (laughs) May we never take the presence of our Lord for granted. I know the mentality of the age in which we live. 
concerning the Bible, the, the mentality even in our churches is, I can take it or leave it. Preacher, you don't have to preach so long every Sunday. You don't have to give us 45, 50 minutes on Wednesday nights. I, I know the mentality. Now, as far as I know, that's not named among our people. And I know the mentality even in our southern churches that are Baptists, whether they be southern Baptists or independent, our southern country churches is, uh, preacher, help us with, you know, make it a little, I get that. But if there's anything we need, it is the word of God, verse by verse. As a matter of fact, Isaiah had it right, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We need that in the day in which we live. May we never take it for granted. May we never take it for granted. Let's think about this morning. Uh, uh, Marsha and Blaine and Holly and Celia Beth, uh, they're not going to be able to make the trip because of um, the snowstorm in Pine Ridge. As a matter of fact, they don't think they can pick anybody up this coming week. A lot of days, attempts are not going get, to get above zero. And uh, Brother Ken and I, we've talked this week, and then yesterday morning, he said, look, said, we can't even get into the pit. We can't get out of our own parking lot. But I was thinking about those flights up there and connecting one flight to another. Something those pilots and his crew will do every time. They may have just flown in from Nashville or just flown in from Cincinnati. They may have just flown in from Baltimore and, and going to turn right around. People unload and the plane is boarded again. They're they're okay for takeoff, but now they're going to inspect that plane. There's a checklist. Go, if, if they overlook one vital area, it could prove fatal. Did you know there are a lot of people that have stepped away from Christ? And it has proven fatal for them. And again, it's going to take Joseph and Mary longer to get back to him than it did to walk away. A man can walk away in a moment of time. And when you do, if you do, decide, I'm going to find myself where I need to be in my walk with Christ, you may not get back what you've lost. I know a lot of fellows that have walked away, took the blessings of God for granted, took their wives for granted, took their homes for granted, took their children for granted. I've known a lot of men do that through the years. And then down the road somewhere, there'd be grief, grief untold. When you take a trip and you pack for it, don't you check and then you double check? We suppose that we, we've got everything that, uh, that we need, but we, we don't need to just suppose. I remember there was one time, uh, I think I've shared this with you somewhere through the years, but um, there was a Sunday night. We left Thrasher. The pastorum was a mile away. We left Thrasher and, and we were in two different vehicles. When I got home, I... Got to counting heads. There were three. You're supposed to have been four there, four little ones there. I said, where's Anna? Is she in the back? Where's Anna? She said, well, I thought she was with you. I said, you've got to be kidding me. My God, what kind of mother are you? So, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Only time we ever did this, I, I, as far as I know. I said, I guarantee you, she's either standing by Miss Betty, Miss Betty Parks, or she's gone home with Brother Carol and Miss Betty. So we loaded everybody up. It was a mile around to the church. Went around there. Walked into the sanctuary. There stood the parks. Brother Carol and Miss Betty. And there stood Anna. She was just a little old bitty thing. 
And there stood that little fellow holding on to Miss Betty's dress tail with her right hand. It was, she was her second mama up there. But just that little bit of time, what we felt in those few minutes of time before we got back to worship. Does it bother you when you're not where you're supposed to be with the Lord? As a matter of fact, that's one of the evidences of salvation, right? To begin to, to miss the presence of God. To miss the touch of God. I wouldn't trade the touch of God in my life. I wouldn't trade it for all the gold in Fort Knox. I've been in, at places in my life where all the gold in Fort Knox couldn't have helped me one bit. But in those times, I'll tell you who helped me. It was God in his presence. When the Spirit of God might remind me of a text of Scripture, and in those moments it was as though he said, we're still for you, we're right here with you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Time's lost. According to verse 44 and 46, four days have been lost. A day traveling away, three days, including the travel back until they find him. That's four days. Four days have been lost. May God help us to never get too busy. Don't ever be too busy to read your Bible. Don't ever be too busy to pray. Don't ever be too busy for church. Don't ever be too busy to get your family ready and get them here. Don't ever be too busy for that. You may lose more than what you think that you're gaining. A lot more that we could say. But look at verse number 48. Look at verse number 48. Joseph and Mary are both going to suffer grief because of the distance that's been placed between them. Notice this phrase, Behold thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. The word speaks of intense pain, speaks of grief. As a matter of fact, it's translated tormented. When Abraham said to the rich man while he was in hell in Luke chapter number 16, he spoke of Lazarus. He said, But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Intense sorrow and grief. Uh... Regret. They could have just taken the time. I remember sitting down with a couple years ago. We were close to the couple Amanda and I at one time. And they thought for financial reasons, uh, they, they would leave the area, leave Pontotoc, and they, they would go down to South Mississippi. They had an offer. And, and, and I just kind of in a casual way, just I, I, I mentioned to the man uh, I said, look, I said, be sure and find you a church now when you get settled. Find you a church. Some months after they were gone, many months after they were gone, they called back up here and wanted to know if we could meet somewhere and talk. And we did. And, of course, that family's, that marriage no longer intact. But toward the end of the conversation, I called his name. And, and I said, I want to ask you something. I said, where do you see it going wrong? And he said, Brother Jimmy Russell was our pastor said he challenged us from the Bible every time we gathered. He said, to be honest with you, Brother Kevin, we don't even halfway attend church anymore. And he said, we know where we went wrong. Every Christian ought to belong to a local New Testament church. I know we've got a lot of unaffiliated people out here, but every believer ought to be. Or to be a member of a local New Testament church. Moving on, lastly and briefly. Notice when verses 46 through 51, 
We've talked about Christ's journey to Jerusalem, 41 and 42. Christ left behind in Jerusalem, 43 through 45. There's Christ found in the temple in Jerusalem, 46 through 51. Notice with me, if you will, verse 46 and 47, Christ among the doctors, 46 and 47. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. He's sitting with the doctors. When they find him, he's, he's in the temple. He's at the Lord's house. And, and he's, he's sitting with the doctors, the theologians, the Sanhedrin, the high court of Israel, the most learned of the learned, the most prestigious. There Jesus is at 12 years of age, sitting at, not at their feet, but sitting in the midst of them. The Bible says in verse 46 and 47 that he's doing three things. He's, he's listening, he's asking questions, and he's speaking to them. At 12, mind you. Those who heard him, verse 47 says they were astonished. Verse number 47, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. This word astonished comes from a, a word that means they were beside themselves in amazement. He stood out to them. They were like in this moment whenever soldiers were sent to apprehend the Lord in John chapter number 7 and they come back without him. And the religious racketeer said, where is he at that you went to? Well, we got there and he was speaking. Never man spake like this man speaking. We couldn't touch him. Who are we to touch him at 12 years of age? He has the words of eternal life. And I want you to think about something. It's been a puzzle to me. 21 years later, you can't convince me otherwise. Some of these same men were some of the same men that put accusations against him, charges against him, and called for his crucifixion. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and who can know it? At 12 years of age, he's in the midst of the doctors. He's at the temple discussing theology. Notice with me, secondly, not only Christ among the doctors, but notice Mary's questioning of Jesus. 48 through 50, the Bible says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. I wonder where else they had looked. It took a day to go away. It takes three to find him. So another day coming back, there were two days. They, I wonder where they looked. Jesus is surprised they didn't come right there to begin with. And then when they finally walk into the temple and they see him, they must have stood there and taken it all in because verse 48 it begins by saying, and when they, speaking of Joseph and Mary, when they saw him, they were amazed at what God was doing through him. Verse 48, Mary needed an answer. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Bottom line, she and Joseph left him. He didn't leave them. They walked away from him. He did not walk away from them. She needs an answer, verse number 48. Verse number 50, or excuse me, verse number 49, Jesus supplies her an answer. Look at verse 49. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? 
Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now, the construction of both questions in the Greek, in verse number 49, the construction of both questions, he's saying, in essence, I assumed you would know. I assumed you would know where I would be. The answer that he gives carries several implications. I sat at my desk and thought about this. Number one, it implies he already knows his mission. He knows who he is. You remember we've talked about his humanity. He's growing and having to learn. and He knows by age 12. He may have known at age 10. We don't know. But we know by 12 he knows because of this answer. Number two, he's focused on his occupation at this point in his young life. You've heard me say this before. Listen, some people say that, that Jesus said more to the lost than he did to anybody else during in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or Jesus said more to Israel. He didn't do it. 189 times he mentions his father. I counted him again this morning. I got my Strong's Concordance. 189 times, at least 189 times. He says, you need to know my father. My father said, I'm here to do the will of my father. He said, I must be about my father's business. He's saying, in essence, I, you had to know I must be in my father's house. I must be in my father's word. I must be about his work. His crucifixion's brought into view here, too. And with this, I'm almost done. Listen to what he said. This is what he'll be crucified for. Did you hear what he said? His first recorded words? I must be about my father's business. He's not talking about biology here. He's talking about priority. The Jews knew exactly what his claim meant. He was claiming to be co-equal with the father. And as far as the Jews part, that's why they're going to crucify him one day. He's the same age as God the father. He's older than his birth mother. They considered it blasphemy. This crucifixion. Verse 50, neither Joseph nor Mary understood. Verse number 51, and with this I'm done. Verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth. It was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. You would have thought after he makes this statement, I must be about my father's business. You would have thought verse 51 would have read, and they were subject unto him. But he takes his place humbly in the household. Let me tell you what I've thought about off and on the last couple of weeks. I, I wonder what he did during those days, those four days. Where did he go? Where did he sleep? What did he eat? Did he eat? Sitting at my desk, I've been up since three, a little after three this morning. I just went there and pondered with a cup of just thought, just. And I wondered, maybe could it have been that during those few days he knows who he is. He is the God Man. He knows his purpose in being here. I wonder if he walked to Pilate's Hall. considered in the basement of Pilate's Hall, being put in the rack, his arms extended, his clothes taken from him. And they're up there talking about him, and he hears every word of it down here. I wonder if he went to Pilate's Hall. 
I thought about this. I, I wonder if he went to the place of scourging. That would be done openly. And considered the scourging that he himself would take one day. I wonder if he went to Gethsemane. Those people in Israel believe that some of the trees in Gethsemane, some of the olive trees are over 2,000 years old. We've seen some of those. I wonder if he went to Gethsemane and walked to the very spot where he would bleed. Sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I wonder if he went to the gates of the city in his mind, knowing that here is where I'll stagger beneath the load of my own cross. Here the streets will be lined with the women that will weep for me. It'll be here that... It'll be here that that Alexander will be compelled. Um, not Alexander, but the servant that would be compelled from Cyrene to help him bear his cross. i tell you something else I wonder. I, I wonder if he possibly could have run upon two very ambitious political figures, pilots, one of them heritage, the other. Perhaps they were squabbling about Roman protocol. And if so, I wonder if he would have stated in his own heart, go ahead and argue. You'll squabble all the days of your life. The only time you'll ever get together is when you crucify me. I wonder if he went to Golgotha. We sing on a hill far away, but it wasn't on a hill where he's crucified. He's crucified on the roadside. You know why the Romans did that? So that you would think twice, long and hard. You'd think long and hard about violating Roman law. They'd put you down where you could look a man in the eye while he's suffering. The place of the skull is on the roadside. There's a bus station across the street from it now. I wonder if he went to the tomb. Could it have been Joseph of Arimathea was already carving out the tomb? Maybe he would think in his heart, work on Joseph. I'm going to need that one. I won't need it for three days, but I'm going to need it. I'm going to change your life. You'll give me everything you got and serve me to your dying day. Could he have bumped into Nicodemus? We don't know what he did, but we can't imagine, can't we? Let's stand.